Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. This week on the V8 Insiders, we hear some of my favourite interviews from the year, including Gary Rogers. I'm not really, you know, I don't believe in all this big specific grand plan of life. Russell Engel. There's a hole there, you stick your car in it. Like, you don't wait or you don't hesitate. Just go there. And Michael Caruso. The hard thing about making in Europe is you need a lot of money to uh, to get there. I hope you'll stay with us as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. An interesting start to the new year. I hope you had a great Christmas and also looking forward to what will be a big 2014 in V8 Supercars. On the show this week, we have three interviews which I really enjoyed throughout the year. In fact, two of them were interviews I did at Clipsal. Gary Rogers came into the media centre looking for Will Hagen. After he did Will Hagen's interview, I sat down and had a chance to have a chat with him. Russell Ingall we spoke to on the Thursday before the first wheel had been turned in anger about his final year. And then in Tasmania, I spoke to the Nissan Hornets of Michael Caruso and James Moffat. And we had quite a bit of fun chatting with them. I hope you enjoy these interviews and they're coming up right after the break. Don't forget the latest edition of V8X Magazine is on sale now online at the Mag Shop or Magster, depending on whether you're using, of course, an Apple or an Android product. And, of course, you can get it at news agencies everywhere. V8X Magazine, look for the Erebus New Hope on the cover. Now, coming up next week on the show, we have the first of our two special editions which feature the women of Australian motorsport in next week's show, the women's roles in motorsport across Australia, not just V8 supercars, but across motorsport in general. And then in two weeks' time, we have a great discussion panel about when will the next female join the main game. And uh, it is quite an interesting one. We did both those roundtables at the Sydney 500 last year. So I hope you'll uh, stick around during the off-season for those as we get set for. Of course, a lot of announcements coming up in the weeks ahead, and we'll have more for you here on the V8 Insiders. But after the break, it'll be Gary Rogers. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. As I mentioned before the break, Gary Rogers and I sat down at Clipsall and we had an interesting discussion about his 50 years in Australian motorsport. Year number 50 is uh, probably the biggest change since the V8 supercars came to power. In terms of the car design and build, oh, no doubt about it, but uh, you know we've all got to build them and do it and get on with it or otherwise go home. <laughs> Your car's top 10 right throughout most of the weekend has been a great start. Well, it certainly has. You know, today, I mean, we've qualified again well and um, a bit hotter today. But, look, I think it'll be OK. But, I, like I said to my boys yesterday, that's great. That's one race out of a whole heap of races. And it's only March, and I don't want to... Be, I love to try and get excited, but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves either. We've just got to keep the lid on things and just keep nailing along. It's, it's going to be a very important year for us. OK, the fact that we've been around 50 years is fine, but we've just got to get our house in order so we can be around for another 50 how different are these cars to any of the other cars that you've uh, been building? Well, mechanically, they're a lot different, although visually, if you look at them, there's not a lot of... I mean, obviously, we've got Mercedes-Benz and Nissan there now, and, and they certainly look different. But really, the Falcons and the Commodores don't look that much different, although I do like the front of our new cars. I think they look sharp and smart. But, but the mechanical things, and that's been probably a huge part of the cost is that everything you had in your in your truck and your workshop really was redundant and so apart from building the cars you had to just make sure you'd built plenty of everything to take everything with you so if you need to carry out the maintenance you can getting rid of the old stuff too have you now been able to get rid of your entire inventory or what have you what have you thought worthy of keeping well for me i'm fortunate because you know i'm a you know used car dealer by trade and um, I realised that it was quite important as, as time was marching on that I'd done that famous job because we were able to... Well, we've only got one car left. We had four. We've sold three. We've got one left, and we've sold a lot of the spares because the people that buy the cars need the spares, so we've been able to couple up deals and sell the parts, and, uh, and you know, the cars have gone to good homes. Yeah, and, and it's nice to see your cars go to a good home because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of money goes in it. There's also a lot of... Uh, blood and energy from your workforce and you know, I'm fortunate I've got a great workforce and you know they get a thrill out of seeing their energy or their efforts too. From the days when you used to race and sell cars to the days now where you're running race car teams what's been some of those key moments that have changed your direction or changed your thought process? Oh. Well, look, I really don't know. I mean, you just change as you go because the rules and the need um, for what you want to give to the public and what you want to give to your sponsors change. But I'm not really, you know, I don't believe in all this big specific grand plan of life. I'm a bit more like, you know, make sure you do the right thing as best you can and be prepared for change because my view is that's what goes wrong with a lot of people. They have this plan scheme of things but when it all comes down you know you've really it's like a sailor isn't it you know he goes out in the sea with his plan to do this and the wind changes you've got to be prepared to change and I think that's Australia's biggest problem particularly with politics and I don't want to get into politics people stand up and make these statements and think I'll never change this but the fact is sometimes you need to so I just think 
from my point of view, I've just done the best we can with the people I've had, and that's probably been my big strong point. I've had great people all the way through. For race wins, what's your best race win as a driver and then as an owner? I think the 24-hour race with the Monaros was our best win. I mean, a lot of people say Bathurst 2000, which, sure, that was a great win because it's a bloody hard race to win. But the second year of that 24-hour race to build, or firstly to design and build those cars in the period of time, plus at the same time still run our supercar program, I think that single-handedly is without a doubt mine and our team's biggest achievement. Uh, As a driver, I never really won any special races. I won a couple here and there and and enjoyed it. This last couple of years we've seen a change in the look of V8 Supercars ownership and management. Last year we had Kobe Webb becoming the first woman CEO and now Betty Clemenko, the first owner. Is uh, this a change for the better? I think well what are we saying introducing women is that a change for the better I strongly support women I think that uh, in fact I really love women very deep down but I think women have a lot to offer and I think that they are more level headed thinkers than men in most cases I think that they uh, strategically probably plan things better than men Uh, so I have no issue with it at all would I have a woman CEO well we don't really have a CEO and I suppose when I drop dead um we might need one and I wouldn't be sitting up on my cloud or downstairs with my pitchfork saying well we've got a woman bloody hell I'd be saying well it's the right woman good on her and new generation of car what's the new generation of Gary Rogers bling going to be like in 2013 I've sort of quietened down a bit on the bling I had my hip replaced a couple of years ago my agility whilst it's okay it's not as good as it was because I like fun I like to dress up I like to have fun and take fun out of people uh, but I certainly but also it's important that your results are good when you do it otherwise you look like an absolute goose so uh, I'll get something ready and at the opportune moment I'll release it Like when uh, you had Robbo and Will there and uh, Lee there there's some goals and markers that you've made promises to the drivers for Well yes I mean today could have been that and yesterday may have been that and it may come but it's just as well it didn't come because I don't really have the uniforms ready yet but if I'm going to have one last crack at it it's going to have to be pretty special and I suppose look I didn't even think about the 50 years until everyone started talking about it but I'm so thrilled about it now when I think about it and it's amazing the people from my past that have rung me and and talked about it so I would really like to to do something really special bling wise but uh, I'd need to plan it what about the feedback? Because there's a lot of younger fans that don't even realise that Gary Rogers was a driver. What is their reaction to the posters, the side of the truck? Well, uh, look, it's you know, it's like you get a good result. Everyone wants to know about you. And I, this morning we were over at Merchandise, and the crowd was 40 deep. You know, like you know, last year they one deep. So it's like everyone loves a winner. But I think we've always been reasonably popular because. We're about a bit of fun. Sure, hey, everyone thinks I'm a prankster. I am, but no-one's more serious than me when it comes to making sure the team is in order. Um, so you just just got to do your best every day, I think. Who's been your best drivers over the years? You've had some great people come through your team. Who's turned out to be the best or who was the best at the time? Who's the one you're proudest of developing? Oh, most likely myself, of course. 
No, I think um, difficult. Oh, look, you'd have to say Garth Tander at this point, but still there's a while to go. I mean, you know, he's been around now for quite a while, but, you know, I can remember when he first started our place and all the main teams tried to get a petition to ban him because all he did was crash and wreck, but he was very fast and he's single-minded, very single-minded, Garth, and, and that, I respect that in him. And, uh, yeah, he, he would at this point... You don't know though what happens to. I mean, Lee Holsworth's got a few years to make up yet to be up where Garth is, and but you would have to certainly say Garth Tanner. But also, Bargwana shouldn't be discounted in that equation either, because you know Garth finished the race in 2000 in the car, but Bargs drove the early stint in that car in that torrential rain, and he really positioned us well and kept out of trouble. And uh, he he probably goes about his business well, but you know, perhaps isn't recognised as much as some of the others. Gary, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and we look forward to some of these outfits throughout the year as your cars are stay up the front. Yeah, well, it'll be a big call, won't it? <laughs> Coming up after the break, a South Australian, Russell Ingle, will join me talking about his hopes for his final year. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing... V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team, and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Russell Engel, first time I saw you race... Was it Bolivar? About 1988. You, you cleaned them up that weekend. It was another Australian championship. Mm-hmm. You were going off to race in uh, well, Formula Ford at that stage. You now sit here in 2013 as the young fella that was setting off for his racing career achieved everything he's tried to achieve. Uh, she's going back a while. Um, not here at Bolivar. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose we're sitting here in Adelaide, and it's only just down the road. Um, and you're right; that's where it all sort of uh, kicked off. It was um, uh, the cart days, um, as with a lot of other drivers, sort of determine your future and whether you've uh, you can have any sort of success in this motorsport. I think it's a pretty good gauge. Um, and uh, that's what my, made my mind mind up to uh, follow a, a path of motorsport. But um, like anyone starting out, you never know where it's going to take you or how long it's going to take you to get there or if you ever do get there in the end, and a lot don't. Um, I suppose it's no different than any other sport. There's a, uh, there's a skip bin full of people that uh, didn't make it and, uh, and very few that do. Um, my... The problem is my ambitions, I think, throughout my career started a little bit too late because I stayed in carts for so long because at that stage I was actually in the business. You know, I had actually had a, a partnership in a cart shop and um, not knowing what was out in the big wide world of motorsport at that stage, you know, I was sort of happy along going along on the cart career. So that probably hindered my, my ultimate progress on what I was going to do later on down the road. And... Uh, I was I was well into my twenties, but by the time I sort of went into Formula Ford and uh, and and then decided to make the uh, make the run overseas, um, you know I was well into my twenties. So uh, 
I know you can't go back and change things, but that was my, my only regret that I didn't have to take a swing at it a bit earlier, you know, because the, the age thing um, hindered me probably in Europe um, because at that stage you have people that were still in their teens, you know, in Formula Fords and even in Formula 3. Um, but, you know, I could only do it when I could afford it because, um, uh, you know, coming from a sleepy old town of Adelaide, you, you had to do everything on your own. You know, I didn't, didn't, uh, didn't have a dab with a pocket full of gold, which... Uh, a lot of other drivers um, seem to have the uh, uh, pleasure of nowadays and uh, you know I had to earn my own money to make my way overseas hence it was probably the late start but um, at the end of the day you know sort of I'm, I'm a proud that I'm you know achieved that on my own and uh, and, and with the help of other people overseas and uh, along the way as well but um, at least I did it my way you know. You won the Drive to Europe series. I know my cousin when he won it. He said you got a tick, ticket to Heathrow, but on the back of that, there wasn't a program in place. Now that was 1980. You were doing it in the the late 80s, early 90s. Did they have any better structure for you then? No, the Drive to Europe series was was, was a bit of a farce, really. You know, that's all it was. You know, a one-way plane ticket and. And that was it, and, and uh, you know, a letter saying wishing you good luck. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't hold much credit when she lobbed up in England. Um, but uh, you know, it. it uh, I used it another way. I used the Formula Ford series in here to make contacts because I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. So I used it as an opportunity to um, make relationships with people like Van Diemen, who came in handy down the road uh, and who supported me when I did get to England. Um, and just people within the industry that had contacts overseas that could help me because I knew I was going to have to pay my own way to get over there, uh, and I needed every bit of help I was going to I could get. So I, I used that as more as a stepping stone rather than you know a, a tag of a series, you know, of thinking they're going to fund you overseas, which was far from the truth, you know. So um, that, that, that's how I sort of used it as a, as a stepping stone to get to England. Of course, when you're over there, a fascinating stat I found. You won 13 of 16 races in one year. Right now, you were 13 out of 16 years in the V8 Supercars. You've been in the top 10. It's an interesting combination of 13 and 16. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I was that was 93. I, I did a year in Germany in 92 in Formula 3, but had to take a step back again. You know, it was one of those things where grab drives where you can and that's when uh, former Fords went to this new Z-Tech championship. They used the new overhead cam 2-litre engine. Um, and uh, it was quite an exciting category then because the cars were way quicker than the old 1600 Kent cars. And uh, they, were, they were actually faster in a straight line than a Formula 3 car. Um, so they were that, it, it was a great category. And uh, again, through the relationships through Van Diemen, they gave me a factory drive and actually paid me. To, that's the first time I actually got paid as a full-time driver. And uh, it was a fantastic year. Like... You know, they had some heavy-duty punters in there, and it was uh, it, it was it was really enjoyable, and and, uh, and won the former Ford Festival as well, which was you know there's not too many Aussies that have uh, got their name up on the trophy at Brands Hatch. You come back home to Australia after racing in, as you said, Germany, Britain, Japan as well, and you lob in the doorstep of the Australian Touring Car Championship just before it's about to make its revolution. What was it like coming home? Uh, it was it was a tough call, you know. I, I was still hanging on to hope of obviously the F1 dreams. Again, it was an age and money thing more than anything, and, and the dreams of the F1 were disappearing. Um, the uh, the 
the plan was then to try and get into the British Touring Car Championship uh, or, the, or, the, or the European Touring Car Championship, and uh, that's what I was aiming at. But meantime, between those decisions in '95 was a, a little race called Bathurst, which I came over to do with a guy called Larry Perkins, and we ended up winning it, and that, and that was the game changer. You know, um, I was still living in England uh, with my, well, now wife, but my girlfriend Julia, and um, we uh, after Bathurst, I actually flew back to England because we still we still had we still renting an apartment there and still had all our gear there and um, ready to sort of make the decision what was going to happen next, and and uh, that's when we got the call up with Larry to come back and an offer was on the table, but it, it was a hard call because it was, you know, I still think I had unfi- unfinished business in England and I still was looking actually as a US as an option as well um, but you know there was a contract on the table so what do you do you know you, you always tend to grab the one there is but it, it was hard it was hard after all those years of slogging around and, and making progress and gradually getting there because I knew once I left Europe I'd never be able to go back again so it, it was a very very big call to come back to these shores you know so um, but you know, it had to be done. You know, it was a very good offer, obviously with a very good team. So, you know, just push the button. You land there with Larry, and the enforcer name starts to become the European aggression. I think is what was the difference between how you were driving and and the others. Have you been comfortable with that? Um, I I couldn't understand what all the all the fuss was about when I first got back from Europe and, and obviously I think there was a, you know, obviously the likes of Brocky and Johnson and all those sort of guys were still in the category at that stage but you know, I came back from a world of racing where um, there, there was it was almost like NASCAR in America up to a point, there was very few regulations you weren't allowed to kill each other <laughs> but everything else goes and, and that's just was the norm you know you had people and we had drivers from every part of the world every part of Europe all in one place knowing that in 12 months they've got to make an impact otherwise their careers will be over um, so it was you don't enjoy the the luxuries that we have here if you have a bad year oh it doesn't matter you know we'll just another year rolls on you know over there the road's up, the road show's over so it gives you plenty of incentive to have a big go and and they let you have a big go that's the difference you know so um, the racing is fierce and, and and people that's what makes me that's why I laugh sometimes and also makes me angry of some of the people that run our judicial system here over the years that should know better people that have actually raced overseas themselves and are involved in our judicial system uh, and should realise what European racing is like, and, and some of the some of the stupid stuff that's gone over, on here over the years with people being caught up for such minor things, and it's it's unfortunate that they they haven't let us race over the years, you know. And uh, I've I've been a very vocal about that over the years. It never changes, you know, like, like because we get decisions from people that just don't know. Um, if they bother to jump on a plane and go to a few race meetings overseas and check out how it's done over there, then they can see real racing, and uh, um, and that's the mentality I came back with. You know, to me it was normal. You know, I had six years and that it was embedded that if there's a hole there, you stick your car in it. Like you don't wait and you or you don't hesitate. You just go there, and uh, 
hence when the when the media started running with that tag I, it didn't bother me at all to be quite honest because to me it was just normal it wasn't trying to make a name for myself it was just normal racing that's what I'd grown up with as far as racing in a you know in a car and uh, um, but you know afterwards it started becoming a media phenomenon I suppose and 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 I, and I was quite comfortable with it because everyone wanted to be the the next Peter Brock and um, you know uh, you know wear the wear the white hat and no one wanted to be the the guy in the black hat but you know I could I could live with that quite comfortably it just didn't bother me because like I said it's that's the way I went racing and uh, to me I wasn't going to conform you know it was um, that, that's the way I thought and and racing should be so Vare Supercars starts up and pretty much you become the first of the defectors the Holden to Ford switch and it's done in an interesting way you make your launch at midnight on the 1st of January how did you see the switch to Ford and how did you like the way that was all handled yeah like it was it was a tough call because like I said Larry had been good to me over the years he gave me my first opportunity when I to, to get back into the the V8s when it was starting to to take off here uh, it was promoted properly the um, the V8 supercars as we know it now was really that's, that's when it started rolling in in, in the in the mid 90s you know 96 especially um, and uh, it, it was it, it was t- I was with Larry for a lot of years but you know the, the thing is I you know I wanted to go the next step I'd won a couple of Bathursts and I wanted a championship badly at that stage I was uh, I think three times runner up in the championship and um, it was you know you can always smell it and you can taste it but it wasn't there it wasn't on the plate so I believed at that stage um, and I looked at it purely team wise more so the manufacturer at that stage Stone Brothers had the best equipment they were the triple eight back then and uh, I believe I needed to be there to win a championship and uh, um it, it was uh, again it was a hard decision but it wasn't you know I, I was used to a scene in Europe where you change teams and categories every year um, not every five six seven years you know so that that was to me it was it was too long in that team anyway to be honest I should have jumped around more because I think it keeps you invigorated it keeps you um, everything's new it keeps you because you tend to get a bit too routine if you stay in one spot it's like a job you know, you sit in an office for 20 years. It's just routine, you know. So um, I think a change is, um, does a driver good. And uh, that's what I felt like I needed. So uh, it was a tough call. Um, Larry probably wasn't very happy about it at that stage. I mean, we're good mates now. But at that stage, he wasn't happy with me, hence the midnight departure, um, because that's when my contract ran out. Um, but, you know, that's life, you know. And in the end, it was the right decision. You know, I got the championship I wanted, and uh, um, you know, and, and a second place along with that as well. So uh, that, that's that's what I needed to be. You team up with a another fellow that had that European instinct, Marcus Ambrose. What were those years like? Because you're both fierce competitors, and you both were cut from the same cloth, if you like. Yeah, look, I I, um, I didn't know too much about Marcus till I till I got in the team because Marcus was sort of going to Europe as I was coming back. And uh, uh, but he went down the same path and and a similar aspect in the way of you know sort of had the 
had the opportunity to race down there, but then didn't have the opportunity to race him with the best teams, you know. And uh, so his his path was very similar to mine, um, and ended up the same way. He got sick of you know sort of scrounging around and not quite being there because not because of the talent, because of because of not being in the right team or having the money to be in the right team. Uh, so. Um, we actually got. I had a lot of, a lot of. I had and still have a lot of respect for Marcus. You know, a lot of drivers actually didn't like Marcus, and to this day don't like him. Um, and I can't, I can't understand why. Apart from that, whether it's a jealousy thing or I don't know, but I respect him as a driver and what he's achieved, and especially what he's achieved recently in in NASCAR. Um, and so, in that respect, we we got along well. Um, obviously, he was still a competitor. Um, uh, and I wanted to beat him more than anyone because at that stage I regarded him as the best driver in the category. You know, so if you if you've beaten Marcus Ambrose, you've beaten the best guy in in the in the category at that stage. So you know, there, 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 were, there was plenty of incentive there. And the good thing about it is that that's what made it enjoyable was when those times did come. But then it was in the same equipment. There was no argument, um, and it, and it, I think it lifts your level as a driver. You team up with James when Marcus leaves, and that was an interesting period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, James had just come into it. He was he was full of beans. Completely different, completely different personality than Marcus. Um, he um, very, very raw, natural, talented driver. Um, concentration span of an ant, <laughs> but. But just has raw speed and ability, and uh, uh, you know, to be honest, you know, um, uh, James should have won multiple championships by now. I, I think if if I was managing him, I'd grab him and slap him around the head a bit and say, "Concentrate on the job." And but you know, that's the way James is. James is James wants to enjoy himself. He ha- has a good time and likes going motor racing. You know, and, and probably hence why the reason he didn't like Formula One because it was too regimented and too uh, too much politics in it. You know, James likes to go racing because he likes racing. You know, no other reason. You know, so uh, and and there's a lot of credit to that, but it, definitely two different personalities. But on the same boat, you you've got to respect for what both have done, and especially James because he actually did reach Formula One, um, and uh, not too many people have. You know, but um, uh, so, but and and to this day, I mean, we end up teammates again. You know, down the road, uh, and and we're good friends. Um, but uh, and I, and I still regard him as 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 probably one of the best drivers in the category. Of course, famously, when you moved to Morris, you gave me the quote: "Pretty boy thinks a lot of himself." When I asked you about the comments on testing the year before, and that. That blew up when it eventually got out, and uh, basically you outed his nickname. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, well, like, you know, that's always a running joke, I think. Um, uh, yeah, well, James is the poster boy of the category, I think, so um, there's no doubt about it. But if I had his good looks too, I wouldn't be complaining either, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, like, the good thing about it is he can take it. I mean, we've had, I mean, we've had plenty of stouches on the track, in the same team, you know, especially last year, you know, we, I've turned him around a few times and he's had a go at me and like, 
you know, but we laugh about it afterwards because I think it's that European, again, that European mentality. Anyone else, I think, in the category that hasn't had that experience would come back and whinge and bitch for the next six months, you know. People like myself and James, we just shrug it off and go, oh, well, you know, we'll get on with it, you know, it's not a big deal. It's only racing, you know. So that's the difference in being brought up with the European racing mentality. Uh, no, no one over there lets it, lets it carry on off, you know, off the track. What happens on the track, that's it. And uh, you know, and, and but if you give it, you've got to expect to get it back again. You know, so. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's um, it's funny how it's uh, it's still around about though. At the end of the day, the years you were with Morris when you first went there, you said to me you were joining that team as much to keep racing as it was to learn about business. Do you think you achieved? the two goals that you told me then yeah look I'd known Paul for years because back in the Formula Ford days in the in 1990 you know Paul was racing Formula Ford had his own team and and uh, you know I'd know the family for very long a lot of people thought I was crazy um, because that's when I linked up with Super Cheap and, and took over the Super Cheap funding um, and took them along with the deal um, I, I didn't look at it as crazy I looked at it as an opportunity um, the first year there in 2009, we had a fantastic year. Like you know, we we were, you know, I think we finished ninth in the championship, but had a few podiums along the way, and and uh, things were going really well. Um, it's it, it probably didn't go as 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 well as we'd like to towards the end. The next few years after that, um, hence why we ended up shifting shifting teams. But. Um, you know, we, we we gave it a good, pretty good go there. Um, it, it was always hard because the, the problem is, is when I went to Paul's, that was when the changeover started occurring as far as the Triple Eight dominance started coming into play. You needed to be in with a couple, of, either with an FPR or a Triple Eight, or even even Walkinshaws at that stage were still on top. You know, it was hard to compete with those guys because they had very big budgets at that stage. At that stage, sponsorship was still plentiful. The big teams had plenty to play with, and it was hard, you know. Um, we had funding, but we didn't have huge funding, you know. So um, so for what we achieved in those teams, from the outset, probably looks OK, but it was probably we were probably punching well above our weight, well above our weight to, to do and achieve what we had. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's hard. You know, it was getting... And to this day, it gets hard to compete against those couple of teams that, that have enjoyed uh, plenty of money to, to build, their, um, build their rigs. One thing you were able to do with Super Cheap was to revitalise your image and really work your image into their marketing. Yeah, oh, look, they've been great to work with. I mean, they're one of the few sponsors I've ever worked with that actually use motorsport as, as part of their mainstream marketing. And um, we've sort of become a figurehead for their stores and, 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 and for their company in general. And uh, and it's worked really well. Like, the relationship's been fantastic. And there's no doubt about it, they've kept me in the game, you know, which I, I, I very much appreciate. Um, and, uh, you know, I just uh, I just hope we can reward them, you know, especially this year and in, in getting in and winning some races and, and finishing it off on a high. But it's, um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great ride with them, and I'm sure it's going to continue on beyond. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's like I said, the the, the categories, the category really changed in the, in the sort of 2010, 11, 12 period. It, it really did, and, and probably put a, a bit of a gap between the have and the have-nots. You know, it really it really has. So 
Um, hence why I was very adamant that I wanted to continue on and, and have a go in this in this 2013 championship, which hopefully will be more of a level playing field. You're with Walkinshaws now, and a factory, you know, seen as the factory holding effort. How far away is that from Larry? Uh, yeah, different, but the same. <laughs> you know, it's it's in some respects like um, different in respects that. Um, the infrastructure is obviously a lot bigger. You know, they've got the involvement with Holden and HSV. Um, uh, there's a lot more palm trees around the place, which Larry didn't like. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's just a, a bigger setup. You know, more personnel and and um, uh, where Larry's was more back to basics. You know, ran out of Sheb of Moorabbin Airport um, and a lot more low key. But nothing to say the engineering wasn't as good, if not better. You know that's and that's a di- that, that's I think the difference. But you know things have changed. The 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 owner driver um, scenario that went on back then is 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 changed. Now it's become more professional. Where you've got people that actually own the teams, um, have investments in teams, and all they do is go find the best driver they can to plug in the seat and and try and go and get the best results they can. Um, so it's it's a different atmosphere. But the commitment never changes. You know, the, the commitment to building the best car to get the best results never changes. Just people go around it a different way. You know, Larry had a different way of doing it. Um, where Walkinshaws are, you know, I mean, Larry is probably more firing for the hip, you know, whereas Walkinshaws are more methodical, but they go go around it. Which is better? It's hard to say. There's, there's faults in both ways, to be honest. Um, maybe I'd like to think there's a combination of both is actually the best way. <laughs> has the way the series has changed, has it changed your appreciation of being able to get into a car and drive? Um, oh, yeah, look, I always have an appreciation of jumping in any car, you know, but the um, the formats have changed, obviously, you know, to, to a longer longer race format compared to... You know, it used to be three 20-minute races or 20-lap races, depending on what circuit we went to. Uh, it was a lot more hard and fast, then as well now it's a lot more methodical with the pit stops and um and and how you go about it and strategy is obviously a lot more important um one thing that's always been my been my fault is and and it's only been in touring cars rather than rather than open wheelers is qualifying and to me that the category has been very much a, a qualifying sport if you qualify well um, you usually end up having a good weekend, you know, and, and there is drivers there that can pull one lap out in qualifying, and, and it's, I think has helped them to win races and win championships. Um, to me, that's still not the best driver, you know. I think there's still drivers there that can actually race in a field far better than, the, than some of the guys have actually won races uh, and won championships. Um, how you rectify that, I don't know, because that's the way motor racing is. You qualify for your grid position, and you go, then you go racing. You know, it's, it's going to be a bit hard to actually get around that. But um, our credit grip, I think, because of our tracks more than anything as well, because a lot of our circuits are fairly small. Passing is sometimes difficult. You know, whereas in Europe, if you don't qualify that well, the best racers usually do race their ways to the front because the tracks are probably near twice the size. You know, so you have the opportunity to do it. So. Um, but yeah, so so the the format's changing to the longer distance races. Sometimes I 
I think. I still prefer the shorter, hard, fast races. You know, to be honest, as far as an out-and-out driving, you've got you've got a short period of time period to, to get to the front. You know, whatever it takes. Um, now it's a bit more, you know, methodical how you go about it. Probably less aggressive as well because you know you can't damage the car um, because you've got a long distance to go, so you can't be driving around the whole race with a wounded car. So I, I think that's why the racing has become a bit more subtle over the years as well it's definitely not as you plug in some of the early tapes and it was a lot more aggressive back in the 90s than it was now what do you think this sport could be if officials and other other business aspects of it were to be run by Russell Ingle well I mean you know I I don't think any sport or any business and you've got to look at it as a business can be run by a single individual it has to be organised by and, and run by people that know um, know what what is the best in each division of that business or sport um, and that's I think been the fault of our supercars up to a point I think there's maybe one or two people that have been making various decisions varying decisions of the sport um, that probably is outside of their expertise you know Um, to me if you know I think Tony Cochran was fantastic in putting deals together didn't have a clue about a race car or racing itself but putting a deal together you wouldn't get anyone better so you'd have him in that area for sure you like you park him in that box and say right Tony you're the man go out and do the deals and get us races in obscure places in different parts of the world um, where I think my box would be is the racing itself the saying right formats keeping team owners under control which I think they get a little bit loose there's far too much self interest that comes into our sport um uh, people don't think of the sport they think of themselves you know they're getting a little bit greedy um, I think some of the decisions that have been made both and even with Car of the Future you know is, is probably could have been thought out a little bit better and a little bit more cost effective as well and I think that's been one of the failings so far is that uh, uh, I think people now are just finding out how much this changeover is actually is going to cost and how much it's going to uh, hurt for a few years to come um to me that's where you need you need someone that's had experience both overseas and locally and and that that's what i'd get my teeth into you know those sort of areas but especially the racing side of it you know formats and 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 what to do and how to do it and and it's all and and like nascar and i use nascar always as a as a as a playbook in in, so it should be always about the show nothing else always about the show and if that means, you know, letting a couple of drivers have a bit of a dust up, and doesn't matter, you know. Like I said, as long as they're not trying to kill themselves, you know, you can let the rope out for a little while, and if it gets a bit too radical, well, then you can always pull it back in, you know. But at the end of the day, it has to be about entertainment because the only people that can in our sport are the people that are paying their dollars coming through that gate and the people that turn their TV on to watch the telecast. That's the only people that count. Team owners don't count people that sit in V8 supercars head office don't count only the fans count you know and that can never be forgotten so um, to me that's that's one thing that maybe could be highlighted a little bit more with the powers to be I think but um, but, but again 
it, it's a matter of right person for the right job not one person fits all you know and that's that to go forward um, that has to be managed correctly um, like I said there's only my opinion but you know I've, I sit from the outset and watch this happen day in day out um, the car of the future thing is is a, is a right initially I was sceptical but I think they could have done it better and they could have done it a hell of a lot more cost efficient um, but the concept is right, you know, of, of making it more open to other manufacturers because the world is changing. You know, the fact of the matter is um, car companies have done and are still doing it up to a point pretty tough and uh, um, and we can't rely on just two manufacturers. It's a shame. You know, I, I loved the Ford and Holden rivalry and passion that the fans have shown over the years, but on the same boat, if we want our sport to survive, I think it was a necessity, you know, so... Um, there is uh, there's a lot to be said for it. I think other manufacturers in years to come will get involved, um, but you still have to get the entertainment factor right, you know, because it's one thing to get them involved, but you know you got to keep them involved by making sure the fans are happy. Why now? Why 2013 as the year to say goodbye? Uh, well, I mean, you know, if it was my choice solely, I'd probably go on for as long as I could walk but at the end of the day you know the commercial aspect of it you know super cheap have said to me you know that you know that they want me to be involved in the process and maybe finding someone to come along to replace the seat as well uh to help them choose you know the next enforcer (laughs) and uh and you know look I've had a good run you know I, I I hope I go out on a high this year I hope I go out with you know with race wins and and even fighting for the championship um but you know you got to look at it in in respect that I've been in this sport for a hell of a long time. Um, I've got two young girls who are still pretty new. You know they're just going on nine and eleven. I go away weeks on end um, with all the intro of the overseas races. I go away a lot with them, which they can't they can't come with me half the time. Um, I've got a wife that's been with me for God knows how long, twenty something years, and and you know she loves motorsport as much as I do so I'm lucky in that respect but you know I don't get to see much of them my kids are growing up half the time I've only seen half of their age growing up really I've missed the other half so you know there's it's not one thing it's probably probably a multitude of things you know saying right well you know I've had a fair run at it and I can't be selfish with just me you know, I've got a family, and 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 I, and I will miss their years growing up. So, uh, and and it's a tough sport. You know, it's a tough politically and uh, mentally and physically as well. So, um, but like I said, I, it's you know, no, my luck, I'll have a burst a year and want to carry on. But, uh, but I suppose that's life. You know, you just gotta you just gotta say, well, you know, make a commitment and say that's it and all the rest of it. So, um, but you know, like I said, I've had a fair innings. I can't complain. How have the fans taken to the news and how are they approaching you after the fan day? And here we are at Clipsal in the first day of Clipsal. How are they reacting to the news that this is the last time they'll see you at each track? Oh, the fans have been great, but I mean, it's they keep they keep coming up to me like I'm dying or something. That's what I keep saying. I'm not, I'm not dying. <laughs> but I, and I'm not stopping racing, you know. I'm going to be doing endurance races for the next few years. You know, I'll, I'll be, and especially now with the new format of 
you know, being able to do Bathurst, Gold Coast and Sandown. Uh, and so there'll be plenty of racing going on. And uh, I'm sure now and then we'd, when one of these latte drinkers breaks a fingernail or strains his little finger at training or something, they might some, some team will want a replacement for a meeting or so. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of, plenty of drives kicking around here and there. But, but there's, also, there's also endurance stuff I'd really like to do overseas. And I've been lucky enough that I keep in touch with people like uh, Jan Magnussen and guys like that that do enduro stuff in America. And I'm sure the, the opportunity comes up, they'll throw my name forward and and uh, there's a little little thing of a, a street, a, a road course NASCAR race in the Nationwide Series that I'm, I'm working on at the moment, trying to get some funding, maybe just to do a one-off. So all those sort of things, it just opens it up that I can start doing a bit of that and, uh, um, you know, head, head down that road and do a few things that I normally wouldn't have the opportunity to do. You've raced with, as a co-driver, with some fantastic drivers. You've had some interesting on-course uh, reactions to you from your competitors. Are there any highlights that really stand out to you that you really enjoy? Um, oh, look, you know, there's yeah, there's been plenty. I've had plenty of lose with with drivers, and again, it doesn't really bother me. You know, it's I hold my own no matter what. You know, and and um, I um, again, I, I sort of laugh it off as that there's other drivers not understanding what real racing is about sometimes. You know, there's a, there's a lot of new guys that come into the category that think they know how to race, but really don't, um, because they haven't seen it and haven't experienced it. It's not their fault. It's just the way it is. Like I said, some of them are, have um, got into it because they chose their parents well, and some have lucked into it. You know, but you know that's that's life. But um, you know, it, it doesn't bother me too much. Like I said, I, I, I more I've always just concentrated on as long as I'm doing a good job and. Whatever is going to make me a better driver, that's what I concentrate on. I don't worry too much about that. People can rave and rant and go on whatever they want. You know, I'll just shrug my shoulders and, yeah, whatever, and walk away. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, there's been no... I mean, the rivalry with Scafe over the years has always been, probably been one of the highlights, you know. It's, um, we've always known ways of pushing each other's button. And, um, I, uh, look, I, you know, even though I'd never tell Mark to his face, but, you know, he's... he's I've got respect for his what he's achieved over the years and his driving abilities, and you don't win the championships he has and Bathurst he has without being a half half reasonable peddler, you know. Um, you know, so in, inside the car, I've got no problems with him at all, you know. Um, outside, I'm, I'm questionable, but you know, <laughs> that's that's all he knows that too, <laughs> and he's probably got plenty to say about me, but. You know, that's like I said, I cop it on the chin, all right. But um, you know, the, the rivalry between us two, especially as as drivers, and uh, um, it was uh, was interesting, that's for sure. But you know, there's there's been lots of highlights over the years, you know, and, and you can't. It's hard to pinpoint one, you know. Obviously, championship wins were great. Bathurst were unbelievable, and um, uh, going to the new countries were, was always exciting as well you know going to Abu Dhabi you know the Texas race this year is going to be phenomenal yeah I, I really enjoy that aspect because I, I probably for me probably more so than other guys because um, it brings back more of memories from Europe of actually going to new places and new circuits and, and European style circuits and that sort of thing so that's why I've enjoyed most of the last few years when that when they uh, the intro of the uh, of international races came on the pinnacle then two Bathurst the championship which one was your pinnacle? Uh, I'd as as much as especially the '95 Bathurst because it really kicked off my career back here in 
in Australia and gave me the opportunity to, you know, do what I'm doing now. Um, the championship was pretty special, you know, because like I said, four times runner-up in the end. Um, I never thought I was going to get the final stage, you know. It was just always hard uh, that, that bloody pesky lounge was took two or three of those away from me. <laughs> and uh, um, I never thought I was going to get it. So that, that was a pretty... It was a relief more than anything because I'd always had won championships in most categories that I've ever been in. And I was used to doing that and it was frustrating that this is one championship that I was in and hadn't done it. And it, it, it really was getting on my on my nerves a bit, you know, that well, I couldn't get it that last little bit. You know, hence the change of teams and that sort of thing because I thought well, this is what I need to do to, to win it. So, so to me, that was a... It wasn't just a one-year thing. It was a planning of... The, the five years before that you know planning to get to that stage you know so so that was probably the the highlight I think I know you're going to have fun but I wish you fun anyway <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be having fun one way or another cheers after the break the Nissan Hornets of Michael Caruso and James Moffat to ask a question of the V8 Insiders just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au stay tuned for more You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Well, joining me is James Moffat and Michael Caruso from the Norton 360 Nissan team. One of the interesting things about both of you guys is that you've now got yourself into a factory drive, but you've come from completely diverse backgrounds, Robbo. You started, what, 11 years old racing carts? Yeah, look, it's, um, it's funny how things map out and, and where you all sort of end up, as in, you know, when you start racing and uh, the blokes you're racing around and... Um, and obviously to be teamed up with uh, with James and his racing background as well, it's um, it's pretty cool. And uh, and obviously the competition in V8 supercars is uh, as fierce as any other motor racing, if not the fiercest in the world, because it's so competitive. And uh, you know it, it shows at particular events, you know like Tasmania, the whole field being covered by less than one second. So. Um, that sort of shows how uh, how competitive our, our field is and uh, how on top of your game you got to be. When you think back about the way you got here, through carts and then Formula Ford, Formula 3, Formula 3000, you were really setting yourself up to be in Europe and uh, to, to race open wheels. How, how do you look at that progression and that part of your racing life? Oh, look, I, I think... Ultimately, I could have ended up in supercars a lot early, earlier if I didn't, um, if I wasn't so focused on making it in Europe. And um, the hard thing about making it in Europe is you need a lot of money to uh, to get there. And uh, unfortunately, we we didn't have that. So um, once I sort of realised that that wasn't going to happen, focused my attention on V8. So I'm pretty happy to you know have the opportunity to, to race in v8 supercars because um like i was saying before you know it's some of the best drivers in the world racing in this series and that and it sort of shows week in week out how close and competitive and 
um, to be one of those 28 drivers is uh, it's obviously uh, very fortunate. James, whilst Robbo was racing karts and Formula Ford, Formula, all these other Formula divisions, I believe you started in a one-make series, Lotus Elite. Well, I, I did race go-karts. Um, I didn't start till I was 13, and um, I actually remember Caruso uh, when he was in go-karts. You know, he was one of the high-profile drivers in the country, and um, especially, you know, when he did the, the Kart Stars series in um, its inaugural year. And so um, I was probably a couple of years behind guys like Michael in go-karts, and I never did go-karts uh, as, I guess, serious as, as guys like uh, Michael and Winterbottom and Courtney and all, all those type of guys. I, you know, I never did a state title or a national title, so it was sort of very local stuff for me. And, yeah, then I guess um, that opportunity to do a one-off drive in the, in the Lotus Trophy came up at, at Darwin in 2004, and at the time, that's all it was. It was just a one-off drive uh, and I ended up getting pole position and winning uh, two races in the round having never driven the car before Friday practice and uh, the rest of that season it just sort of uh, was a round by round basis and I guess uh, that was really my first proper year of uh, you know racing cars and uh, that's where it really all started for me. You then went and an interesting choice to go to Utes and I know at the time they were promoting the fact they had a Brock and Moffat in the Ute series at that time Yeah, for me um, going to the Utes wasn't necessarily my decision um, we had a sponsor in Trend Windows that um, were helping out with the, the Lotus towards the end of uh, 2004 and they were keen to stay involved in the sport and uh, the V8 Utes sort of fitted um, what they were trying to achieve perfectly, you know, they uh, did up road-going utes on, on the road, you know, that were obviously uh, the same livery as what we raced the, the car on the, on the track with, and um, it was a tough year. Like, back then, the utes were still uh, pretty crash and bash, and there was a bit of fudging going on, although there'd probably be people that wouldn't want to admit it, but there was, and... Um, by the end of that year, it almost put me off racing, if I'm honest. Um, it was a really, really hard year. That you know, the, the cars weren't very good to drive, and um, I had a year off in 2006. It wasn't by choice. We just didn't have any budget to do anything, and um, but having that year off, I guess, really made me realise what I did want to do. Um, and that was, you know, still drive. And um, in that respect, I feel very, uh, very fortunate, very lucky to uh, be living out my dream. Really, you know, racing cars is since I can remember all I've wanted to do. And to just sort of touch on what Michael said, or reiterate what he said, you know, to be in the V8 Supercar Championship is really nothing to be sneezed at these days. And um, in the situation that we're in at the moment, you know brand new Nissan Altima's factory team we've got a great sponsor in Norton um, and uh, you know I've obviously enjoyed the support of, of Norton for a few years now and they are a fantastic company to work with but uh, I'm happy for them to be able to step their involvement up to two cars and being 
being able to work with Michael so far has, has been fast, fantastic. You know, we get on really well, and um, you know, I think the future holds good things for us here at, at Nissan. You started your relationship with Sonic when you did come back through Formula Ford, then eventually through Carrera Cup. How did you find getting into that team and working with those guys were able to help move you on? Well, doing Formula Ford was something that I always wanted to do and uh, I had tried previously uh, but just couldn't get the budget together and in my year off from racing anything, I was actually working for Sonic. So uh, I recognised that you know they were the benchmark Formula Ford team and um, you know I wanted to... I wanted to drive for them, you know. You know growing up as, as a as a kid that was interested in Formula Ford, you know, they were winning championships with Davidson, Wing Cup, um, and then Reynolds, obviously, and um, they were they were the crack outfit. So uh, Tim Slade was driving there in uh, 2006. We good mates with Sladey, and um, we worked there together. And yeah, obviously, throughout 06 was uh, pushing to, to try and get back in a drive of some description in, in 2007 and the opportunity to drive for, for Sonic was there and, um, you know, it was a good year to finish third in the, the Australian Championship my first year and a lot of the tracks I hadn't been to in a Formula Ford and um, then to roll that into Carrera Cup and we were fourth in the points and rookie of the year. Like, you know, I, I owe a lot to Sonic. There's, there's no doubt about that. They... Um, they were great for me and, um, you know, Mick Ritter, he has a unique style at times of uh, trying to get the most out of you, but um, he he's an operator and, um, you know, what is it, what he and, you know, Maria have achieved, his, his wife, um, has been, um, you know, no, nothing to be, uh, nothing to be ashamed about, you know, they're, uh, Still, in my opinion, the, the benchmark team in in uh, Formula Ford, and you know any serious young guys coming up through the sport that want to sort of go somewhere probably need to go through him or or you know maybe Minder these days. Robbo, there's a lot of pressure trying to get up through the ranks and get yourself eventually to V8 supercars. Moff's got one type of pressure as being son of a legend. When you eventually got your main grain drive with uh, GRM, there was an extra pressure that I don't know whether you felt it or not, but there was a, a pressure where, uh, over a controversy where the way Gary had terminated with Dean to bring you into the team caused a, well, caused a bit of flack at one stage. Uh, yeah, look, it's funny um, that you mention it because... Obviously, when I got my drive, it wasn't just myself going for the drive at Gary's. I reckon there was probably a line of 20 or 30 blokes that um, that I knew of that were going for it. So you can imagine how many people was the last drive in the series that was potentially available. Um, and, you know, uh, unfortunately for Dean, um, sort of feel for him a bit because, you know, the way he was put off was a bit late in the piece. and um, But... You know, in one way or another, there was you know everyone's going for the drive, and like I was as well. And um, you know, I was just fortunate enough that Gary um, could see that I had potential to do a good job, and, and obviously decided that that was um, the best way to go. So, look, in terms of pressure in motor racing, uh, the outside pressure, I, I 
doesn't really fuss me to be honest because I feel like I put more pressure on myself to perform um, than sort of concerning myself with the, the outside circles and, and media and things like that. So, um, you know, particularly being here at Nissan Motorsport uh, is having a different type of pressure now. We're aligned with a, a manufacturer who wants to come into the series and ultimately want to be successful. So um, that's the type of pressure that, that's probably... I haven't had before, but um, I'm actually sort of enjoying, you know, taking the responsibility on. Um, like with James, Todd, and Rick, that we understand that we uh, we have a a job to do, not just for a team, not just for ourselves to get results, but um, now to represent a brand like Nissan, who's worldwide um, and obviously who've been extremely successful in the past in motor racing in Australia. So, uh, you know, obviously a lot of work to do and. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're under no illusions that it was going to be easy. We knew, I knew when I signed up that um, it was going to be a hard task, but uh, I wanted to be a part of a project where I could build and be a part of something special, something that started from the ground and, uh, and hopefully something that becomes, you know, very successful and ultimately winning races and challenging each, you know, each weekend in and out and, and obviously uh, the big one at Bathurst. James, that pressure I spoke of is more an external one than one that you would probably be constantly worried about day to day. Yeah, it's um, just about every interview I think I get asked about it, so um, I don't really think about it until uh, in between interviews, but hey, it is what it is and it's only natural for the media to try and draw some attention to it. Um, Obviously what dad did in his career was very successful and uh you know i think sometimes people lose the fact that i'm you know i'm not my old man and um just because of the surname that doesn't guarantee um anything so certainly no pressure from from dad or anything like that to perform and um yeah it's, it's a difficult one i won't be naive enough to to um not say that it hasn't generated some probably publicity for me along the way but at the same time they're um feels like sometimes there are expectations placed um, on me purely because of the surname but it is what it is I wouldn't change it for the world and uh, you know I'm very proud of what my dad achieved and I've often said you know if I could achieve half of what he achieved then I'd still have a very successful career. Of course Robbo came into GRM just uh, just as they were getting the Fujitsu backing just after they got the Fujitsu backing. No sorry they um we had Valvoline as a major sponsor, yeah, Cummins for two years, and then Fujitsu came on board. See, I, re- I remember, I don't know whether this was on the record or off the record, so I might have to cut it, but I remember when we were talking about you and Lee being at, at uh, GRM, and I ended up doing a photo of you two guys so you could give to Gary because you said GRM's history was really bugs and tander. And it was hard to get recognition. Yeah, look, it, and that's just how Gary operates. Obviously, he um, very fond of um, Garth and Bargs, particularly. They were pretty successful at that stage when you know the team was um, in that early part of the V8 supercar career. So, uh, yeah, it was funny. You know, like we we thought we were doing a good job and <laughs> weren't getting the recognition. But no, look, it's. Um, it's okay, you know, and look, at the end of the day, you've got to, I think in any case, any team, uh, you got to, you know, 
be mindful of your past and you know those those moments that you um, you strive for being successful and um, but you know use them to to help yourself in the future to remember that that's what you're there for. Now, I don't know. Was the story you actually took the photo and put it in his office? I don't know if he ever saw it. We did put it in his office, but I can't even remember if he ever saw it. <laughs> he doesn't use his office um, that often, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to have to ask him. The guy signed it. These are your drivers. <laughs> the um, the interesting thing, Moff, you get your main game drive. No pressure. We're going to jump you into the uh, well, the championship number, if not the same car. Well, yeah, it was the same car, and it was obviously the same number, um, taking over from James Courtney, but um, obviously the team had undertaken a fairly substantial restructure over the off-season between 2010 and 11, uh, with a lot of people leaving the team, and um, oh, I had a great time that first year at DJR, like it was, you know, just the, the two cars... Um, Stevie J and myself, and uh, there are some fantastic people at DJR. And um, you know, last year was was a challenging year for for everybody involved there. You know, going up to four cars, and um, yeah, I think Dick and Steve at times can can be misled. And uh, you know, they have the the right intentions, but um, yeah, there were probably a few people around that. That didn't have um, the integrity of DJR in, in mind, I don't think. And uh, look, uh, we don't need to elaborate too much on that. But yeah, that you know, breaking just breaking into the, the main series for me was was a you know a lifetime goal, obviously. And it was looking pretty pretty shaky for me at the end of 2010. I hadn't had a good year. I'd obviously done the FPR thing and um, yeah that didn't work out well for, for a number of reasons and um, yeah they, they got to a sort of period there towards the end of 010 and it looked like you know the seats were drying up and then um, so everything went down with, with Courtney that it did and um, there was an opportunity there and it was fantastic for me to be stepping into a such an iconic team in DJR and such a rich history and um, sort of ironic in a way the fact that I was joining Dick's team where you know for years uh, Dick and Dad were were almost fierce Ford rivals so uh, uh, but uh, you know I think that also worked out well for the team as well and um, it was sort of funny being able to see Dad and Dick enjoy a relationship really outside of racing and um, yes certainly they probably wouldn't have spoken as much to each other as they did in 2011 as they had their whole lives so um, from that aspect it was uh, it was quite unique now there's some talk that your aggressive style Michael seems to be much more mellow it's a bit yin and yang here. The call has been with Russell stepping down, but you might be the new enforcer. Is that a is that uh, is that something uh, that sits comfortably with you? Um, look, 
the, the way I sort of look at it is it you know some people are going to like you and some people are not going to like you. You know you can't uh, probably unless you're Craig Lowndes, um, you know that's always going to be the case. And uh, look, if some people want to call my style aggressive, then you know that's up to them. But um, but is it important? Muhammad Ali said he he wore the black hat because he knew that's how he'd make his money, that's how he'd get his opportunities. Is there anything wrong with having a vaudeville villain in the field, a person that's forthright, upfront, and will and will stand their ground and when they're challenged, they'll tell you to, you know, get out of my way. Well, well I personally don't think there's anything wrong with that, but um, you know, at times the uh the series sort of pulls us up on that in a way, you know. Uh, they say that they want us to, you know, we constantly hear that we're an entertainment sport and um, I reckon if you went out there and if you spoke to the fans and said, you know, what was entertaining about that race or this and that, they'd say certain things, but then um, behind the scenes, they're the sorts of things that V8 supercars are sort of... Uh, penalising us for if you like so uh, sometimes I think V8 supercars send out mixed messages as well but um, yeah look uh, I grew up watching Russell and you know I grew up watching the Enforcer if you like and uh, you know he was one of the guys that I uh, I was cheering on for you know, so uh, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of, of NASCAR and, you know, I know we don't race on ovals or anything like that, but um, if you see some of the stuff that goes on over there, I find that entertaining. And uh, if we were to even do 10% of some of the stuff they would do, then uh, I think V8 supercars would almost lock us up. Right, you like the call. Would the Blacks hat sit well on you in terms of being the vaudeville villain being the the hard man me being a hard man yeah. oh so sorry you're saying that well, I, I you seem to like me suggesting the he's the hard man and you're the oh, you're saying yeah like what i think about him being the hard man yeah or could you pull that off or would you want to pull that off i no look i don't i'm happy if if everyone <laughs> sees him off as the hard man because he's my teammate and that's only got to benefit me, surely. But no, look, it's you know these things sort of happen in motor racing. Everyone has their opinion on who's aggressive, and it, and it, it's funny because it nearly is what gets covered on TV is what people see as aggressive. But there's lots of things that happen in the race that I see um, that don't get shown on TV that you'd think um, is a bit aggressive or a bit shady. So um, no, look, it's. That's what we're here for. Like Moff said, we're here to entertain, and, and ultimately, as a sport, oh, sorry. we keep getting keep getting told we're here to entertain. <laughs> that's what we, we. I mean, that's what we are. And that, you know, when at the end of last year, they, you know, even at the beginning of this year, there's a lot of talk about the the television rights and things like that. And that's what it's all about. You know, like people want to watch us, not uh, not just to see who's winning, but obviously to watch the show. And um, we can't forget that in uh, motor racing because um, you know we need to win but at the same time we um, we need to make sure that we're 
doing the right thing by the fans as well because uh, they're ultimately the people that um, you know, keep us here motor racing. How catastrophic would it be if Ford walked away? Oh, I think it'd be really bad. I mean, they've done it before, unfortunately, and um, I think everybody would be of the opinion that we we wouldn't like to see it because we've only it's taken us so long to get a you know another manufacturer involved in the series um, in Nissan, and um, you know I don't think Ford, Holden, um, Nissan or even Mercedes, for that fact, would like to see them go because um, they've had such a long history with the sport and, um, you know, I think I'd like to see them there just for the case, you know, it'd be good to get a couple more in the championship and um, I guess no different to Formula 1, have a a few different manufacturers and um, that, that excites a fan. That's one thing I've seen... The early involvement with Nissan is that fans are actually pretty excited. They want to come around and see the cars. They um, they obviously look a little different and they sound a little different, and uh, and then that's what we need. You know, we can't have the same thing week in week out, and it's sort of shows V8 supercars change the race formats nearly day to day these days. So it's um, you know it shows that there needs to be a diversity. Um, you know, whether it's looks, sound, or um, you know people's feelings on you know who they want to support. So I think that. That's what we need in our sport at the moment. How impressed have you been with the amount of tribal gear, the Nissan Norton gear that you're starting to see when you're doing your autograph sessions and so on? It's been great so far. Um, and certainly, you know, Clipsal was... We didn't know what to expect. And there were um, plenty of Nissan flags and a couple of Datsun flags floating around. But um, in general, I think Nissan coming back into the sport has been received very well by the fans and um, you know certainly our Norton gear looks uh, very smart and, and the JD stuff um, is obviously selling well for the team as well so that's um, fantastic but even you know we've got just plain Nissan merchandise that I think looks fairly sharp too so um, the team is uh, very on top of that side of things and um, it's good to be a part of it Alright, tell me three things that no one would know about your teammate. I don't know him enough to... Uh, he's a weapon in a high car. I know that much. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but we all are. Um, Does he challenge you? He doesn't challenge... I don't, not, not on... Uh, he challenges me on the racetrack, you know, but, you know, we both challenge each other. Um, likes dumplings. I'm pretty sure he likes dumplings. And he's a bit of a connoisseur of pizzas, from what I can understand. <laughs> you got, you, you've got it easier because you've had a, had a bit of time to think. Um, he's actually quite a good commentator. He's got a good commentator's voice. I don't know. He does a bit of commentary work, but... Funny that, his old man used to do that as well. Yeah, it must run in the family too because he some of the words he comes up with is um, pretty impressive, actually. So I think, you know, he could have a career in the future doing a bit of commentary work if they run out. But um, what other stuff? What else? Um, All right. How different a teammate is he to Lethal? Oh, look, it's different, I guess, because particularly when I started out with Gary Rogers... 
I was sort of working at the shop all the time. So, yeah, exactly. It's probably a different um, type. You know, like James and myself sort of don't see each other all the time because we're, um, you know, not working in at the workshop, number one, but we're always, you know, doing our own thing in terms of training and, um, you know, going to see sponsors and that. But we still spend a bit of time with each other away, which is good. I found it actually quite quite good to get along. Obviously, I was a bit concerned because, you know, you get a new teammate. I had a new teammate last year with Alex Prema, new teammate this year, and, you, and you know, you always think, oh, what's going to happen, you know, because you've got to spend a lot of time with each other, and I'm sure James is the same thing. But um, say that we both probably didn't really know what to expect of each other, and uh, certainly from my point of view, it's it's worked out really well, you know, like we, we seem like we get on well, and there's, there's sort of no BS between us, and, you know, we certainly doesn't feel like we're trying to screw each other over or anything like that and uh, that's certainly not the case up and down pit lane I can tell you that much so um, from that point of view I think we both understand that we need to work together to push the whole program uh, together and you know from my point of view there's no point having one Norton car up the front we need both Norton cars up the front because that's the best case scenario for the sponsor yeah uh, look you can't can't falter what he was saying. I think that's important. Um, you know, obviously Norton. Yeah, look, you know, having Norton expand the two cars is pretty pretty important for them, and um, and we want to represent their brand as well as possible. And I know that uh, everyone at Norton, and including James, has had a great relationship with them. Um, have welcomed me into that team, and that's probably been an important part of being a team. Is um, you know feeling like you're a part of it, and um, and ultimately. You know, if we can cross the line one two at Bathurst door to door, that would probably be pretty good. Drive a lunge on though, if I'm <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. My thanks to everyone for joining us throughout the year. I look forward to catching up with you with those two big specials with the women of Australian motorsport over the next two weeks. And hope you'll join us back then. But as the checkered flag waves over this edition, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.